This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. More than 500,000 Chicagoans live in food deserts, and the problem has worsened with inflation driving up food prices. Now, a string of grocery store closures on the south and west sides have left some residents with virtually no fresh food options in their neighborhoods. But local organizations are stepping up to provide affordable produce. 40 Acres Fresh Market is a startup grocer in the Austin neighborhood. The business runs a series of pop-up markets and a mobile grocery store that travels to underserved communities across the city. Liz Abuna is the founder and owner of 40 Acres Fresh Market, and she joins us now to talk more about community solutions to food deserts. Also with us is Laurel Sims, co-CEO of Urban Growers Collective. It's a nonprofit that builds urban farms and provides locally grown produce to the south and west sides. Liz, can you describe the need that you've seen from the beginning of the pandemic to now with rising inflation and the closing of grocery stores like Aldi and Save-A-Lot? I think that it's it's a complex need because not everybody's needs are the same. So there is the need of people having more month than money um, when it comes to purchasing food. And so the emergency food system has really become a factor in how people budget for food because they're factoring in um, those emergency food donations Mm -hmm. into how they're going to eat. Now, there are people who also can afford food, can buy food, but the access to food where they live is getting more and more limited with um, store closures and rising prices. And so those are two very different needs that are converging and have to be met at the same time. Whole Foods in Englewood will also close very soon, Liz. What do these closures truly mean for residents in these areas? How have they been getting their groceries? Um, So, obviously, I have no expectation that if a business is not making a profit or they are not making money that they can continue to stay open. Um, however, there are people in the community who, who are using those businesses, um, who are using those grocery stores, and it's a blow to them because now they have to either go further or they have to make substitutes or they have to pay more to shop at smaller stores with higher prices. Um, it's, really, it's really affecting people's access. Um, we live in a time where convenience is extremely important. We have jobs, we have family commitments, and having to travel further than you used to for groceries 
makes it just that much more difficult to feed, to meet that basic need for people. But it's not only about the food. There are jobs lost. Now you have um, community property and, and, and vacant commercial space sitting there mm-hmm. for indefinitely until a replacement can be found to, uh, to occupy that space. And vacant lots, vacant properties, um, they drive down property values. They make the neighborhood less walkable. Um, it's hard to attract other businesses there. Uh, grocery stores are so much more than food, and there are primary, secondary, and tertiary effects of their closing. Laurel, you know, many activists don't agree with the term food desert, which is used to describe this lack of access to affordable, fresh, nutritious food in some areas. Instead, they want to have us refer to it as uh, food apartheid. What do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely one of the terms that we've adopted um, as as a way to describe um, the food access problem. And the reason for that is because deserts are a natural environment. And so when we refer refer to something as a desert, it's something that just happens, right, through nature. And we know that the food access problem is not that. It's something that's completely, um, it's been created by humankind. And particularly from policies and procedures that we've adopted throughout throughout the city of Chicago. And so we know that the only way that we can really help close the food access gap is by really trying to str- to change those policies so that folks, especially in black and brown communities, have the same kind of access to food as folks on, our, on the north side of Chicago. Well, well, let's dig into your work a little bit with uh, Urban Growers Collective, because you, you not only strive to provide healthy food right, to these disinvested areas, you're also providing these hands-on farming training to young people. So why is that important to sort of connect the community to the growing process? I think one of the things we really saw with COVID-19 was just this huge lack of food infrastructure that we have across the United States. But in Chicago, we know we have about two days of food if anything really terrible happens. And so to, I think, really combat the food access problem, we have to create a regional food economy. And to do that, we have to have farmers and we have to have a land. So those are two of the things that Urban Growers Collective really focuses on to make sure that we're able to grow growers. So we have about 200 teens in our um, urban farming program for mm-hmm. both after school and summer. And then we also have about 30 adults in our both herbalism and grower apprentice training in order to really help close that gap of folks being able to grow food in Chicago. So how do you distribute the food that you grow? So we have farm stands at most of our farm sites, but we also have a mobile market called the Fresh Moves Mobile Market, which is a bus that was converted into a mobile farmer's market. And so it really works on closing the food access gap by bringing produce to schools, community centers, churches, and health clinics, so places that folks are already going to, to make good food accessible, especially in black and brown neighborhoods. Liz, let's talk about the name of your organization, 40 Acres Fresh Market. How did you start? Um, So we started with pop-up markets in 2018. Um, I have worked previously in the grocery industry, but on the vendor side uh, with General Mills for 10 years. So I had an idea of the industry, but there was a lot I didn't know. So for me, starting with a mobile strategy with low overhead was a great way to build a customer base, learn the supply chain, and really build a business from the ground up and learn as I go. 
And so um, I decided on the name 40 Acres Fresh Market because I was very intentional about where I wanted to start my business, Mm -hmm. which was um, Austin, which is a predominantly black neighborhood. And I wanted a name that resonated with um, black American history and culture and was, was an immediate cultural identifier. And 40 Acres just made sense because it ties to the land and food comes from the land. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's about, it's about promise. It's about restitution and it is reminding, I wanted the name to remind us that fresh food is, is our birthright. We were this country's first farmers and it is often a cruel irony that the descendants of those first farmers, um, now live in communities where it's very difficult to find any food that comes from the land. And, uh, so I wanted, I wanted to remind us of that. Yeah, and and let's talk about your your partnership here. You recently partnered with Westside Health Authority to actually open a brick and mortar location in uh, Austin's Soul City corridor. Tell us about yeah. that. <laughs> Real estate development is a is a fun process. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm sure it was when... quick and happened overnight. <laughs> <laughs> We're still working on it. We haven't broken ground yet. We anticipate breaking ground later this year with a store opening next year. Um, we've been working on this since since late 2020 when we first um, secured the secured the site. Um, but the there was a former Salvation Army thrift store um, on the Soul City corridor at Chicago and Waller, and it came open and for it came it came up for sale. And upon looking at it from the the basics of real estate, location, parking lot, size, like this makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for a grocery store. We can we can do a um, a small neighborhood store here. So the store will be a little under 10,000 square feet. It will have um, fresh produce, which we're already known for, as well as meat, prepared food, dry, refrigerated, frozen grocery, um, and create a, a place where people can, can stop in and get their basic their basic needs met, um, do their fill-in trips, and do it in a friendly, welcoming environment um, that's cultural, that has culturally relevant products mm-hmm. um, at affordable pricing. So that is our plan, um, and Westside Health Authority is the development partner in, in the real estate of actually getting this, this property ready to be a grocery store, and that's, that is a process because a thrift store does not automatically transition into the needs, the real needs of a grocery store in terms of refrigeration, heating, cooling, yeah. plumbing. Um, so we're working with Leighton Design, who's our architect, and Brown and Moman as our um, general contractor and other grocery consultants nice. to plan to plan a, a full-service store um, that's meant to not just open but survive for years. It's a true team effort, it sounds like, for sure. Laurel, inflation is another factor that's making it more difficult to actually put food on the table for many families, especially for food insecure households. How's your organization balancing the rising costs of produce with affordability? A big piece of it is fundraising. And so we're really having to depend on generous folks from foundations to individuals to help um, help keep those prices down. Um, and one of the ways that we've really found that's been um, incredibly productive, especially since COVID hit, is that we've been 
offering $10 vouchers. So everybody who comes onto our mobile market actually gets the first $10 off their produce purchase. And it really helps stretch food dollars because we know that, you know, that fresh produce is the last thing most people buy because it expires quickly. And if they're going to, if they have limited food dollars, they're definitely going to usually pick things that are going to have a longer shelf life. So we really want folks to be able to have that access to the fresh produce. And we know that there's huge demand for it. So that $10 has really helped. Um, and then last year we gave away about $170,000 worth of those vouchers. Yeah. Um, so we know that there's high demand for fresh produce in neighborhoods all over the South Side. Well, Laurel Fertilizer is another product that's seen a steep increase as well in price. So how's that impacting your growing operations? Yeah, so for us, we're fortunately, um, we grow as organically as we actually say we're beyond organic. Um, so while not certified organic, we grow sustainably. And so we purchase compost, which definitely has seen a spike, um, but has not been as big a spike as like you've seen in fertilizers and other um, and other inputs into farming. And so for us, because we have really good practices and because we do some composting on site, we're able to really um, uh, stretch our dollars there mm-hmm. so that we have some savings um, and don't have to have all of these unnecessary inputs into our farming practice. And we should note that the city has recognized the growing problem of food insecurity, and it's made some efforts to fix it. Mayor Lightfoot's created a food equity council earlier this year. But Liz, what more could the city government do to help out struggling areas? Um, I can only speak from the from the position of commercial food retail. Um, what needs to happen is the city the city is really the only entity that has the resources to bring about structural and infrastructure change. So I can, from 40 acres perspective, when we, as we are trying to move into this um, Salvation Army building that we're converting into a grocery store, what we found is that it's not just the building that needs conversion. It is the the, the the infrastructure and landscape around us because we have to think about our supply chain. How do we bring in trucks? Um, it can it can mean widening streets, turning one ways into two ways. It it can mean um, you know moving electrical poles, and that's a lot of infrastructure work. That oftentimes the types of businesses, the small businesses that actually want to build in. Um, working-class black and brown communities Mm -hmm. just don't have the capital to fund that type of infrastructure change. So if the city can support our efforts um, by making those zoning changes, upgrading the infrastructure in our community to actually accommodate um, things like like grocery stores and um, changing laws to make urban farming more accessible and water more accessible, those things can help alleviate um, the food access issues because the people who actually want to do this work mm-hmm. will have will have the resources and the ability and the capability to do it and not be hampered by um, capacity and resource constraints. Laurel, how can grocery stores that come into neighborhoods engage with the communities that they're serving? I mean, I think one of the major ways is just education. We know that folks in, in, the, in neighborhoods across the south and west side want access to fresh, healthy food. They want access to grocery stores and jobs. And 
you know, without those things, we know that neighborhoods can't be as productive um, and they can't um, and they can't sustain themselves as well because folks need those jobs to be able to actually support themselves in buying that produce. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that you know, the more, the more small, even small grocery stores that we can have and, you know, farmers markets and other types of mobile markets to help kind of fill that gap. Um, it provides unemployment opportunity. It provides access to high quality food and it allows folks to, um, you know, have opportunities that they haven't had yeah. historically because of divestment. You know, Laurel, to, to that end, beyond the access to the food, beyond the jobs, I think, you know, grocery stores are adding to the culture of a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're revitalizing the energy of, the, of that community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we see in grocery stores all over the north side that they're, you know, they're like free samples and educational opportunities. And those are things that creates a hub of culture. And so not having those in communities is really just it, it, it is divestment. Right. It is uh, it is the thing that keeps culture um not it, it does not allow culture to thrive because we don't have those hubs for interaction. All right. Well, last question for you both. Where can folks go for more information about your produce? You first, Laurel. Um, we're at urbangrowerscollective.org, or you can find us on Instagram at urbangrowerscollective. Liz? You can find us at 40acresfreshmarket.com, and that's the word 40, spelled F-O-R-T-Y, acresfreshmarket.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at at 40acresfreshmarket. Thank you both. Chicago is a global city with people representing hundreds of cultures. But for food insecure communities, access to religious diets like kosher and halal is often an afterthought. But two nonprofits are working to change that. Sana Syed is Senior Director for Strategic Initiatives at Iman, the Inner City Muslim Action Network. Iman has teamed up with fellow nonprofits in Inglewood to build Go Green Community Fresh Market. It's an affordable grocery store and food pantry with fresh produce and halal options. Marna Goldwyn is CEO of The Ark, a social service nonprofit that serves the Jewish community in Chicago. The group recently broke ground on a new kosher food pantry in Rogers Park. They both join us now. Sana, why did Iman decide to build Go Green in Inglewood? So, Sasha, Go Green on Racine is a larger uh, neighborhood revitalization effort at the located at the 63rd and Racine intersection. So, the, the, the intention is to catalyze economic growth more broadly in Inglewood by starting specifically at that intersection, which is kind of at the half-mile mark between Halstead and Ashland. So, Go Green basically introduces three catalytic developments in that intersection in a very concentrated in a very concentrated geography so that you have the Go Green Community Fresh Market, you have the Regenerator, which is the repurposing of a closed Chicago public school, you also have a broader housing vision and a larger transit advocacy campaign that will target the reopening of the closed Racine Green Line station. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, and we, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying we did that because, you know, the, we, we know what the needs in our community and there is a, obviously, as you know, a big life expectancy gap between Inglewood and Streeterville, just nine, nine, nine miles north. It's, yeah. That's a 30-year life expectancy gap. But we also know there's a big wealth gap. And part of the mission with Go Green on Racine more broadly is to help bridge that health and wealth gap. Right. And everything that you just described, you know, Go Green Community Fresh Market, this is a, a nonprofit. But I want to be clear, it's designed like a traditional grocery store, right? Correct. Correct. Why'd you make that choice? 
Yeah, when we were fundraising for this effort, a lot of a lot of funders were asking us, "Do you want to start a pantry? Are you sure you want to do a grocery store?" And we were 100% clear that yes, we want a grocery store uh, because you know Inglewood needs business. We need economic development in our community. People are spending money on their food every single week, but they're spending that money outside of Inglewood because of a lack of grocery options inside. So we really felt the need to create those kinds of economic business, social enterprises that, that can exist in the community in, a, in an equitable way and, and uplift the community to sort of even bring about business improvement around. So, for instance, we've been running a corner store campaign for many, many years. And a big push of the corner store campaign is to understand that, yes, with low, car, with low rates of car ownership and with the absence of big box grocery options, Corner stores are really important spaces in, in communities like ours, but yeah. they're also really messy spaces. So we've been working with corner store operators to agitate them and push them around their inventory, around their business practices, around their aesthetics, and just around the relationships that they have with residents. However, we could only go this far talking to corner store operators around how to do business in a community. We actually had to demonstrate what a viable business could look like. So part of the intention with the Go Green Community Fresh Market was to be a model corner store and to show others in the community who are already there, businesses that are already there, hey, this is how you can show up, Mm -hmm. and hey, this is how you can be viable. Marna, let's bring you in here. How how does a food pantry fit into the ARC's mission? The ARC is here to support all the needs of the Jewish community, and we know in our area that one out of five Jewish households in Chicago is struggling to make ends meet, and food insecurity is a big part of that. So the ARC has been running a food pantry. We've been taking care of the community for 50 years. And as you said, we're about to embark on a transformation of our facility, similar to Iman, that our our new food pantry, which is growing by 400%, is going to be designed as a grocery center because at the core of everything we do is dignity. We believe that dignity is essential to treating everyone and helping them get back on their feet. So our new food pantry will give clients the opportunity to choose to come into a space and shop as they would at a grocery store. But when they come to the ARC, it's not just taking care of the physical needs that food and our health clinics provide, but it's taking care of the whole person, their psychological needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, and employment opportunities, helping them get back on their feet and be empowered and find the stability that they need to help us strengthen our community. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing some commonalities in, in your stories, Marna. That dignity and choice really seem to be important to both both of these places. I think as faith-based communities, uh, I think we agree that we don't want any individual to have to put their beliefs aside just to feed their children. And when our clients are coming to our food pantry, they're making really difficult choices. We see clients who are struggling in different ways. They may not be able to pay their electric bill that month, but we believe that helping them take food from our pantry for the month is giving them the opportunity to make a choice and to support their family in different ways. So it's not just about the food, but it's about a financial savings opportunity so that they can pay the essential bills, pay for medical procedures, ensure their children have access to medication and other support that they need to be able to care for their whole family. Sana, the Whole Foods in Englewood that will soon close uh, used to have a community outreach manager. How does Go Green reach out to its community? 
So this is a great question. You know, we are um, all Go Green partners. That that includes Iman, the Rage, which is the Resident Association of Greater Inglewood, Teamwork Inglewood, and EG Wood. We've been around for a long time, yeah. and you know, together amongst us, we've sort of really had a very large rate of penetration in the community, so to speak. We've engaged the community significantly over years. So even when the, the when the Go Green on the scene was kind of being you know first put out there as a vision as our uh, for, for neighborhood revitalization, it was it was following the heels of the Inglewood Quality of Life Plan, which already had engaged a whole you know number of Inglewood residents over a long period to determine what the residential priorities were. Mm-hmm. In, Teamwork Inglewood was one of those leading organizations that did that work. So for us. Community engagement does not happen on a particular day, once every quarter or once every... It's happening on a day-to-day basis. You offer halal foods. Was that a specific need that you noticed in the community? Yeah. So basically with with the Fresh Market and the Food and Wellness Center. So these are two operations that are across the street from each other. So Iman runs the the fresh Grow Green Community Fresh Market, but it also operates the Food and Wellness Center from across the street. Uh, the Food and Wellness Center is much like what, you know, the ARC is doing. It's kind of like a shopper-style kind of pantry, mm-hmm. and we do distribution three days a week. The idea is that people need a little bit of support for their primary grocery needs every week, but also they have some money to spend. So between the Food and Wellness Center and the market, they're able to cover all of their grocery needs. I think the main intention with having the, the fresh market is not only kind of has halal products, but also is attuned to special diets, period. So essentially, we're really sensitive about making sure we have gluten-free options, we have dairy-free options, we have sugar-free options. Essentially, we want to cater to all special diets, because that's an assumption that a lot of businesses in Inglewood do not make. They assume that Inglewood residents eat a certain way, and the, and what what the inventory looks like then starts to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Especially with Whole Foods closing, there are a number of things that we keep at the Go Green Community Fresh Market that would be hard to find in other locations in Inglewood right now. Yeah, well, the city's requiring that the new grocery store opens where Whole Food where Whole Foods is now uh, within the next year and a half. What what do you want to see move in there? So we've been doing, we've done a lot of work over the last decade or so, like residents, leaders, community organizations to attract investment and to attract development in the community. And with the Whole Foods coming there, I mean, Whole Foods certainly helped shape the 63rd and Racine and Halstead intersection, but it was also very shaped by being there as a company. Mm-hmm. So what we want to see in the future in that location is, is we're, we're trying to make sure that anything that takes its place now builds on that momentum. This is a very historic intersection. It's a transit-rich intersection, and it will see millions of dollars of investment over the next few years. Yeah. And our goal is to ensure that this this next phase of that square kind of uh, builds on the momentum that we have already been building over the past many, many years and does not detract from it. Marna, as you, you listen to Sana talk about her experience with Go Green Fresh Market. Uh, any ideas that you would like to use for the kosher food pantry? Absolutely. I mean, we want to make sure that kosher food is as accessible as possible, and it tends to be you know, concentrated in very limited areas of the city, while yet the Jewish community is distributed across the community. So we want kosher food to become more accessible. We also want it to become more affordable, which is why we need to provide financial support so that people can uphold their their beliefs and, and live Jewishly. Uh, but we also have visions for bringing the ark out broader. West Rogers Park is our hub location, but we do provide services out <clears throat> in the northwest suburbs, 
and really have the vision to meet clients and meet the community wherever we are. So we look forward to using our new hub and our transformed facility in West Rogers Park to take the ARC services out into the broadest areas of the community so Mm -hmm. we can support Jews wherever they are living. What are you hearing from your clients about inflation driving up food prices? It's extremely painful. Our clients are really struggling. The cost of food, the cost of gas, and the co- all the costs are really hitting our clients in very difficult ways. We're fortunate we have a great employment counseling team, so we're trying to help our clients secure jobs, and we have a great financial counseling team to help them make the most of their benefits and financial resources. But this is a really, really challenging time, and we see the growing need for the ARC, and that we're going to, going to be serving thousands more Jews over the years ahead. How about you, Sana? What are you hearing about inflation and its impact? Oh, yeah, we're working really hard right now. I mean, it's it's a challenge for any grocery, um, you know, space. Um, but frankly, it's, it's really difficult to be a new business and be in this moment where prices are going up because one of our priority and top goals is to make sure that our prices are down. Right. So one thing I would say is, like, I think we need to identify, especially for communities that are, uh, you know, struggling with food access and food equity more broadly, is to see that there are other players that have a role to play. So distributors have a role to play. You know, um, co- corporations have a role to play. And we can't put the burden entirely on nonprofits mm. to solve this issue of food apartheid. This problem was not created by us. We're obviously trailblazing and kind of trying to create solutions for it. But this is a problem that is that has many facets to it, and it has a history of disinvestment and racism uh, that is behind it. And we need to sort of approach that more holistically. I do believe um, on, on, for, for us, our agenda is to really meet with the distributors that we're actually purchasing our products from and really uh, advocate for, you know, better pricing or better costs for us so that we can pass those savings on to our, to our customers. Any thoughts on that, Marna, on the role of nonprofits in addressing food insecurity and in food deserts? Uh, nonprofits are essential, and I, I would agree that it's a Nonprofits have an essential role to play, but we need partners across our community and we need partners in our in our government as well, advocating for better benefits for all of our people, um, but to partner with us with our distributors and manufacturers. I mean, the cost of kosher food runs anywhere from 20 percent to 50 percent, sometimes even double the cost wow. of non-kosher food. It's not affordable for an individual or or a family. And so we need to be working um, across the board with all the partners to try to address these issues because it's not a sustainable model. Marna Goldwyn is CEO of the nonprofit Jewish organization, The Ark, and Sana Sayed is Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Inner City Muslim Action Network. Thank you both for your time. That's it for today's Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for spending your time with us. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow to get you caught up on all the major headlines this week during our weekly news recap. We'll see you then. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.